fresh start. And what better time? I mean, actually, it's just one, the next day on the calendar, in a sense. And uh, we, we lived them out. One, but there's something about saying farewell to a year and hello to a brand new one that has a. It just has a. a Something about it, it energizes us and uh, makes us want to think about the future that's just ahead and uh, the past that's just behind and the difference that we can make in moving from one year to the next. So hopefully this message will take advantage of what's already a natural tendency of ours and set us up for the success that God wants us to have in the year ahead. Revelation 21.5, we're almost at the very end of the Bible when we get to this verse. And I love that it sets us up for the ultimate future in this way. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, this is John the, uh, the disciple writing, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. In other words, this is a promise. You can bank on this. I am making all things new. Ultimately, we understand that means this earth, this planet, the heavens, um, everything eternal. God's going to do that. But I think that there is a personal application to us because we understand we serve a God who's all about taking the past and turn it into something entirely different. So the word new is, is interesting to look at. Um, the Greek language is a little more precise and colorful in some ways than the English language. So there are actually, there's actually more than one Greek word that we translate as new because that's the best English word that we have. One of those Greek words means new in a, in a different sense. In other words, new in the sense that it has never existed before. And so this is brand spanking new. Nobody's seen it before. Another Greek word for, that we translate new means new but of the same kind. In other words, it has pre-existed, but it's fallen into disrepair, or it's somehow, um, something's gone wrong with it, and, uh, and it has to be redone, and that's what this is all about. That's the word that's used here. Other places, the same word is translated in our language, fresh. That's where I get fresh start. God's doing something brand new. What I love about that is this. It tells us that God's original design is always possible even when it looks like everything is working against us. God created a perfect world, right? Remember Adam and Eve and all of that? Perfect world. Sin entered in. Everything went downhill. There's, there's violence. There's destruction. There's all kinds of things. Chaos. God never intended for our world. It was not his plan, his purpose for us. But sin brought that in, including death. And what he's saying is, there's going to come a day when I'm going to make it new like I originally intended it to be. No more death. No more violence. No more destruction. It's going to be that perfect world that we want once again. God can do that in your life and mine. So while it may feel like you were heading down a path in the wrong direction, you ended up falling off a cliff and totally wrecking your life, and now you're in a heap at the bottom and you think you can never recover from it, God's saying, listen, I can make anything new. I can make anything new. My dad was a factory worker his whole career, but on the side, we had a little five-acre farm in upstate New York, and so dad always wanted a tractor around. His favorite tractor was the John Deere H. 
And it wasn't a lot of money, but I remember a couple times uh, Dad would go to a junkyard and buy a beat-up old John Deere H. I mean, we're talking rusty, parts missing, motor froze up, didn't work, had to drag the thing home. And uh, I mean, on first sight, it's like, what are, you, what are you thinking? I'm sure my mom asked that question. What are you going to do with that piece of junk? Said, well, I'm going to fix it and I'm going to use it. And uh, he would do that. He would literally take the thing entirely apart Parts spread all over the barn, break the motor down, rebuild it, get it all running. He went and he got factory paint and he would paint it up green and yellow and he got the lettering and everything. When he got done with it, this is what it looked like. He, I mean, he would, he, would, he, would take, he would take an old piece of junk that anybody else would say is trash and not worth anything at all, spent a little bit of money getting it, and then he would turn it into something that looked virtually new and actually ran. So, I mean, but Dad would see some possibilities in what others would see as worthless. Do you know that God looks at your life and mine in that way? We may have messed up, we may have, we may have gotten off track to the point that it seems like there's no getting back on track. We may, our life may be filled with chaos and mess of our own making. In some cases, we had nothing to do with it, but hopeless in some sense of the word. God always sees the possibilities that others cannot see. And that's what this message is about. That kind of fresh start that we're talking about this morning is getting back to God's original plan and purpose and intentions for your life that you may think at this point are beyond hope, but they are not. So we're going to look at a passage from Psalm chapter 51. What better passage to go to when we're talking about this? This is the prayer. Your, your notes in your Bible may say something like, this is a Psalm of David after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. Well, let me, let me tell you the background a little bit. I mean, it's familiar to most of us, but keep this in mind. David was, he was a fierce and a brave warrior. He was a brilliant leader. He's one of the most loved men, most loved leaders that ever existed. To this day, a remarkable man, but he had a colossal failure that most everybody knows about. His sin, his affair with Bathsheba, and then consequently, to cover that up, the murder of her husband, Uriah. Here's a little bit more background. Jen and I are watching a TV, a made-for-TV series called The Unit, which is kind of interesting. It's all about Army Special Forces and based on the book Inside Delta Force. And uh, so there's this tight group of, uh, a small group of men, and they're all part of this, this force, the special forces, and they're tightly bonded together because literally every time they go on a mission, they're staring death in the face, and they have to work together just to spare each other's lives each time that they go out. Well, one of the guys in that group, the the, the, the team leader, the commander over them, uh, he stays back home. He's having an affair with one of the guy's wives that's in this. And I mean, it's like the ultimate betrayal. And in a sense, that's part of the dynamic of this thing because Uriah was one of David's 30 mighty men. If you look in Chronicles, you read those stories, fascinating stories. They, by name, he calls out these 30, 30 mighty men. They were amazed. Some, some of the stories they tell about these guys border on the unbelievable, what they accomplished. Uh, Benaiah has become uh, well-known through Mark Batterson's writings recently. He's, the, he's one of those 30 men that chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. 
Have you seen that? And guess who came out alive? I mean, who would do that? But uh, Benaiah, he conquered. I mean, he killed the lion and came out alive on impossible odds. But nevertheless, well, Uriah was one of those 30. And these guys are very tightly bonded together. And David has an affair with the wife of one of those men. You can only imagine the other 29. If they, I mean, David goes into damage control because he knows his life is probably on the line for what he's done. And part of his damage control is to literally send Uriah on a mission that virtually guaranteed that he would not come home alive but in a body bag, which is exactly what happened. So, I mean, it is, it is an unbelievable mess by the time we get here. And David's done a pretty good job he thinks, of covering this up over the last year or so until the the prophet Nathan confronts him and says, listen, you may think you've hidden this from anybody else, but guess who saw everything? And David is immediately humbled by the shame of his own behavior. Psalm 51 is his prayer of coming back into a relationship with God that he has been avoiding with everything within him over the last several months because he couldn't stand to face himself in a conversation with God. Wish we could do the whole chapter. I think these three verses, 9 through 12, kind of summarize the the, the content of that. So we're going to focus on this with the time that we have. David's praying. This is the middle of the prayer. Don't keep looking at my sins. Can Can you feel something there? He's talking to God that he knows saw everything. And he's saying, God, please, please stop looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. So on the screen we've underlined the three words that I'm going to use as sort of an outline for what we're going to talk about this morning. Remove the stain of my guilt. Renew a right spirit within me. And restore to me, again, the joy of your salvation. Hey, folks. We are in the cusp of an opportunity. Let's not let the baggage of the past hold us back from the blessings God has planned for the future. You okay with that? I mean, it's it's perfect opportunity to do this because God's got some wonderful and exciting things in store. So let's walk through this. The first part of it is remove my guilt. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the guilt, the stain of my guilt. Ten days ago, Wednesday night, uh, the 21st, um, we were in here for what we called uh, Family Communion Night. Pastors were all across the front with, uh, with communion elements. And uh, literally, both aisles at, t- at times were just full all the way from the front to the back door with families who were coming in. And, and we would take them, each, uh, one family at a time, in some cases even one individual at a time, and just serve communion and pray together and uh, put the past behind us and ask God's blessing on 2017. Very, very memorable time. But what struck me was, here we are, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. You know, it's a few days before Christmas. And in that moment, the way we were celebrating the birth of Christ was about looking at his death, which was his ironic but ultimate purpose in being born in the first place. He came to die. 
Which says to us a couple things. One, he paid the penalty for our sins, but it means he anticipated our humanity and our weakness and our failures and our sins and the fact that we would experience remorse and regret and guilt and condemnation. And he provided ahead of time to set that all aside so we don't have to carry that another day. So it's not just that it's January 1st. It could be any day on the calendar. You don't have to carry it another day into your future, but he's already provided. I mean, that's why it's the greatest gift that you can ever receive, not only at Christmas time, but any time in your life. Freedom from the past and freedom to walk in the blessings without obstacles of what God has in store for you. Remove my guilt. David is praying. Let's get that stuff out of here. I, uh, I've stopped making New Year's resolutions, I'm sorry, if that offends you. Brian reminded me this morning, though, he said, actually, you did make one resolution, and that is you resolved not to have resolutions. So, thank you, Brian, for helping me with that. So I, I, I'm still into goal setting. I think goal setting is healthy and, uh, and it's good and, and that's fine. But you, have you seen the statistics on New Year's resolutions? I hate to just... Are you still awake? Uh, I, I may have to help you. I know some of you were up late last night. Do you, do you know the percentages of people who keep their resolutions for even the first 30 days is pitiful. It's pathetic. We just don't do it. And I've learned that I don't do it, so I quit doing it. So, no. But what I've learned over the years is there are two powerful forces that motivate real change in us. And they are hope and disgust. Hope for something better. We change when we get that hope deep, deep inside of us that things really can be better and total disgust with the way things are right now. What I love about Psalm 51 is is completely saturated with both of those elements. David, you read through it from verse 1 on through. David is almost unbearably disgusted with himself and his own behaviors and actions and choices that he's made. He hates it about himself. He wants it. He says repeatedly, purify me from that. Take away the stain of my sin, my guilt. Would you cleanse me and make me pure once again? Would you stop looking at my sin? I can't stand it anymore. I want it out of my sight. Uh, when I was a young pastor, and this probably goes back 30 years ago at least, another place, another, another state, um, and uh, I remember a couple that were, I'm remembering them in their early 30s, came in for marriage counseling. And uh, so uh, I was probably very ill-equipped, uh, at, especially at that point, to help them. But I, I sat and listened to their story, and uh, she went first, so I heard her side of the story. She said, came home from work. And he's upstairs, a two-story house. He's upstairs with the windows wide open. And in a rage, he is pitching stuff into the backyard. Just carrying it, throwing it out the window. He's absolutely furious. Somebody calls the cops. They come. This domestic thing. They end up in my office. So I'm going, oh, man, what are we dealing with here? So then it's his turn to tell his side of the story. So it was gotten more interesting. She, he says, she's a hoarder. I walk in my front door. He said, there's this tiny path for me to walk through my living room to get into any other room of the house. 
everything around. There's no place to sit down. Everything's stacked up, at least chest high, all over the. And every room in the house is like that. She won't stop. Newspapers, magazines, junk of any, any sort of imaginable. Even the upstairs, every room there's, there's barely a place to lay down to go to sleep. And he said, "I love her." I want to stay married, and I want to keep living with her, but I absolutely refuse to live one more day with the junk. He had reached the point of disgust that David was at here, and he's just literally, it's like, I, I can't stand it. I want this stuff out of my life. Do you know, when you get to that point, God has just been waiting for you. He's ready to do the house cleaning that we need in the heart, in, inside of us. He's ready to deal with the junk that holds us back. I love Hebrews chapter 12. says it so well. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And that's the point. Hinders our progress. Holds us back. David was no longer the leader that he was famous for being. His relationships had deteriorated. He didn't like being around people. He didn't like facing himself. He had turned sour on life. He no longer had the energy, and as we see later, the joy that once characterized the person that he was. He was being held back. His progress was stunted because something was in the way of that. I'm so glad Jesus took care of that for us. And we can pray the prayer, Lord, would you deal with this stuff? I don't want to carry this into 2017. I don't want to carry it into tomorrow. I don't want to lug it around for the rest of the day today. Would you take care of it for me? That's what Jesus came to do for us. Would you please remove the sin, the guilt of my sin? Israel, God's people, had a checkered past. I love reading the stories because they had some amazing highs and they had some amazing lows. The Bible is just so real in all of those stories. But the deal was God had a purpose, a plan, a calling, a destiny for those people. And it was to reveal himself to everybody else on the planet through the special relationship with these folks. And it all like went down the toilet because they didn't cooperate they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to what he had to say to them. They killed the prophets. They, they'd just gotten into this mindset, listen, I, I'm going to live life the way I want to live it. This is my life. You live your life the way you want to live it. I'm going to live mine. I'm not listening to anybody. Just keep your hands out of me, off of me, and leave me alone. And so they had gotten to a point where their hearts were hardened and they were going a completely wrong direction with it. And God said, we need to change that. And so the story is getting to a point where God wants to remove the stain on the guilt and the remorse and the regret and the condemnation so we can move forward with life. All right, so that's the first part of the prayer. The second part is renew my heart. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. This this moves, you see the movement here? All right, initially we're talking about external behaviors. It's about the things that we do say. Now we're moving to another level altogether. It's the heart underneath all of that. And he's saying, don't just deal with my external behaviors that I regret, but deal with my heart as well. I love this, uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse in the Message Bible. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos 
of my life. I was thinking about that Genesis week. It's a pretty cool way of phrasing that. And I went back and looked at Genesis chapter 1 again. First couple of chapters in there about that seven-day process of God creating. In verse 1, it starts out by saying three things about the earth. Number one, it was empty. Number two, it was formless. And number three, it was cloaked in darkness. There was no life. Water covered everything. There was no vegetation, no animal life, no human life whatsoever. It's just a big, big blob. The, the, the word that's used there is chaos. It just looked chaotic. And then God begins to, to speak the possibilities into this planet. Let there be light. And so the, this planet is cloaked in darkness. Suddenly there's light. And he said, let's separate the water from the land and make distinct boundaries. Let the sea have its own place and the, and the lands have their place. And that happens. And then let's say, he speaks vegetation into existence. And the, the planet turns lush and green. And then let's have animal life and let's have sea life and let's have birds in the air. And then let's have human life. And over those six days, he turns this place into the most gorgeous place. Imagine, it's a perfect place place to live for everyone that's what it said and then sin entered in and then it all went downhill from there and we know that story but what this verse is saying is god my heart's like that you created me with innocence but i made choices and decisions and i acted and i spoke and i have lots of regrets behind me and i've created a mess that i can't clean up would you have a genesis week with me Would you speak light into the darkness? Would you speak some fresh life into all of this? Would you renew what you originally intended me to be and recreate all that to serve your purposes for you? A Genesis week from the chaos of my life. I know that this is at least 60 years old because I played with it when I was a little tyke. And I still have it because there's a story behind it that's pretty important to me. Uh, And it starts out like this. I was, uh, I don't know what age I was, but I remember I was in the backyard, just a little guy, and uh, skateboards didn't exist back then. Uh, scooters did, and I had that idea. I wanted it to be more of a scooter than a wagon. I had one foot inside of it, and I was hanging onto the handle, and I was pushing myself with the other foot. And it just—I got frustrated because it didn't work very well because this thing moves around too much. And uh, I remember that I just—I just kicked the thing. I took that foot that was inside and I shoved it, and I slammed that into a, in a big oak tree in the backyard. Well, mom happened to be standing in the kitchen, uh, looking through the window over the sink, and saw all of this. And she came out and she said, "Steve, come here and bring that wagon." I knew I was in trouble. She had seen I was, I was at a minimum. I'm going to get a good scolding, right? But uh, she said, listen, um, I want to tell you a story. A couple years ago, I wanted to get you a birthday gift. We had no money. You know that rhubarb patch in the backyard? So I went out there and I cut rhubarb and I washed it, cleaned it up, cut it into nice sticks, packaged it up as nice as I could. She said, I went door to door and I knocked on people's, uh, on, the, on the homes in our neighborhood. And, uh, and I went to the local grocery store and, uh, and I sold this. And then I went out a second time. Till I had, so I did it three times until I had enough money to buy that for you. Because that, that, I wanted you to have that as a birthday gift. Wow. 
You know, I, I never mistreated that thing again in my life. Because suddenly, it changed, that story changed my heart. It changed from a toy to an expression of love that moved me. It did something, it did something inside of me that is emotional to me to this day. It's an expression of love. You'd have to spend a lot of money to buy that from me. We're not going to take any bids. I'll probably hang on to it as long as I live. It means something. That's, that's the story of God's love. Change my heart means don't give me more, doesn't mean give me more rules to follow. It means let me know your story behind my story that causes me to see life in a completely different way. Something that I once devalued, now I highly value because of the story of love that's behind it. David, I think, is praying that prayer. God, change that part of me that helps me reconnect with the God you are, the God that I love, the God who I know loves me, the God whose relationship caused me unbelievable joy for so many years of my life and I sacrificed it, I sold it all out for a, for, a, for a little bit of pleasure something that I wanted for myself but took away so much in the process would you give me that heart back again I want that heart, Ezekiel is another player in, in the a major player in the whole story of Israel's history when it came to the, the Babylonian captivity And this is what he's writing. Ezekiel actually was in captivity with most of the rest of the nation in Babylonia when he's writing all of this. And uh, and it comes times where the punishment phase is over. And it's time to move on into the blessing phase. And God is saying this through the prophet. And I will give you a new heart, speaking to a nation. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. Just let the contrast of those words soak in a moment. Stony, stubborn, tender, responsive. Stony gets replaced with tender, hard to soft. Stubborn gets replaced with responsive, unwilling to budge to... I'm with you, God. I wonder if we kind of put ourselves on that continuum. Over here, we got stony and stubborn, and over here, we got tender and responsive. Where we, where we fit on that scale? Because it says something about our relationship with God. And what he wants, the way, what he wants is that tender, responsive heart. And he can do that. And he's saying, what I'm going to do is literally a miracle. This is not about damage control. This is not about behavior modification. This is not about, uh, about image management. This is about internal transformation. So I'm going to take something out of you that you cannot remove from yourself. You can't help it. That's who you become. I'm going to remove that. And in its place, I'm going to put something that will cause you to make choices and decisions that will drastically alter your future. A new heart. Renew my heart. Renew my heart. So we've got remove the guilt, we've got renew my heart, and then the third one is restore my joy. Wow, I think this gets so much to the heart of the whole thing. I mean, 
The two big words there, restore and joy. I mean, it's, it's so much about restoration. It's new in the sense of restoring the old back to God's original intention. One of Jason, Pastor Jason's favorite passages, if you've been here for a while, you know, involves David. Remember? It's before he was king, and he had his, uh, his I think, 600 soldiers or something, and they went out on a mission, and they left the women and children and belongings behind. And when they came back to the camp, it all been burned with fire, all the animals, the kids, the wives were all missing. They had been, they had been taken away. And, and David and his men, although they were completely exhausted, they decided they would go on in pursuit. Some 200, I think, uh, of those guys, couldn't, they just couldn't go any farther. So they dropped out, and the others went on. And ultimately, everything that was taken was restored back. That's the story of God and his people. Everything was restored back. And maybe David was even thinking about some of his previous experiences with God. Almost on a miraculous level did he get his family back and his belongings back. And so much stuff that even the guys who were unable to go on the mission with them got everything back and more than what was taken from them to begin with. It's that restoration of God. But the joy is the key, the key element here. The joy is missing. When you think about who David was, remember, he was the, he was the free spirit. He was, he was the happy-go-lucky guy. He was the one who was so filled with joy and excitement when the ark was brought into the city. He just danced, he took he threw his coat aside, and he just danced with abandon in the streets of the city. His wife thought it was too undignified, unpresidential, and that he shouldn't behave unkingly, and uh, he shouldn't behave that way. And so she mocked him and hated and despised him for it. But that's who he was. That's the hardest man. He's gotten to the point where now, if you read the earlier verses in Psalm 51, he's saying, he's saying my, my days are filled with torment. Memories that I cannot stand. Reflections on things that I did that I hate about myself. And my nights are no better. I can't sleep. I soak my pillow with tears. I just, I'm miserable. 24 Hours of the day, I am miserable. I once was happy. My joy is completely gone. God, if you could just give me my joy back and make me willing to obey you. That's the change of heart. That's the payoff. Every once in a while, Joan has said to me over the years, you used to be fun. (laughs) You made me laugh. I want that Steve back again. You know, life has a way of, of changing us, doesn't it? Responsibilities pile up, decisions, sometimes it's the regrets, all of us have them, but life changes us. And it seems to have a tendency to pull us away from God because other things entice us that look desirable, that we think will bring fulfillment and happiness into our lives. And we encounter disappointment again and again and again. Can I just tell you, if you've lost your joy, you're not going to be able to medicate your way back to it. It won't happen. You can spend everything you have, and you can spend money you don't even have yet, thanks to credit cards. And you cannot buy your way back to the joy that is... Creating that void in your life right now. 
You can't create joy, not from experiences, not from relationship, not from activities, not from accumulating stuff. The only way you can get the joy back is to pray it back. That's why this prayer is so powerful. David is reestablishing a relationship with God, which was the source of the joy, and he wants the joy back, and he's willing to take that pathway in restoring that relationship with God so that he can get that. And he, so he prays, he prays without any hesitation, make me willing to obey you. He wants the joy back. I'm about ready to wrap up, but let's, let's take a look at Isaiah 43. Verses 2 and 3. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. This, these verses remind me of that uh, song, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger, or something like that. Kind of like, it's almost like God saying, I'm not going to kill you, but close, because I want you to learn something in the process. I want to change you. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, which as a nation, they surely did. I want you to know I'm going to be with you. Those are the moments when we think he's abandoned us, but he has not. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not die. You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your Savior, your Rescuer. The one that's going to pull you out of this mess, I'm your Savior. When things seem like they're at the very, very bottom, sometimes is God allowing us, even leading us through a process of purification and change to set us up for the success He always planned for us. My friend, God has a plan. You have a calling. There is a destiny. And he's not going to force you to do anything. But what he's saying is, I'll take care of the impossible so that there's a pathway for you to go down. The possibility exists of you fulfilling the destiny I planned for you from the very beginning. No matter how terribly it appears, you've messed it up at this point. There is hope. Let's go back and just review quickly the three verses of our text and we'll close with this. Don't keep looking at my sins. You can feel the shame in those words. David's been exposed and he doesn't like it. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to close with a prayer this morning. There's no reason to let anything hold you back from what God has purposed for you. Don't lose hope. God will perform miracles to remove obstacles, even if they're of your own making, so that you can enter into the fulfillment of the destiny that he has for you. I love this prayer. Maybe you want to make it your own this morning. You say, just by raising your hand, quickly put it up, put this between you and me and God. Pastor Steve, I want to receive Christ into my life. I want to put the past behind me all the regrets and remorse of the past. 
and I want to enter into the future that he has planned for me. Can I pray with you? Anyone? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else before we close? I want to receive Christ into my life. I want a fresh start, a new beginning that God will give to me in this moment. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you for your courage. Just the fact that you even raised your hand means that you've already connected somehow your heart with God's heart. And he's got something in store for you that's beyond what you can imagine. Father, thank you for your love, your expressions of love that changes from the deepest part of our soul. And this morning we invite Jesus to come in and to do the house cleaning that needs to be done. Get rid of anything and everything, Lord, that is a reminder of the sinfulness of the past. Put a new heart within us. We embrace Christ as a Savior He is. We believe, Jesus, You came to this earth through a virgin birth, that You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross to take the penalty for our sin so that we don't have to pay that penalty. You were raised from the dead, alive today, and you are the Savior that you promised us to be. Lord, do that work of transformation, we pray. Bring great honor and glory to your name. For Jesus' sake.